theyeshiva.net. Okay, it's my pleasure to introduce our next speaker, our keynote speaker, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, who is world-renowned, and it's an honor for, for us to have him here. Many of you have heard him before, and the unanimous uh, reaction to anybody who heard Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson is going to be on the boat. Great. I can't wait. So without any further ado, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Yes, everybody, please put the cell phones on to vibrate, especially the people who are sitting here and left their cell phones unattended in chargers. tell a story about a Yid who wasn't the biggest Hamid Chachim, wasn't the greatest Ben Teira, who invites the community for a Pidyan Haben. The Rav is there, do the Pidyan Haben, they have a beautiful Suda. At the end of the meal, it's time to bench. So the Rav says, Sadaq Kayin, Sadaq Kayin, so the father of the boy says, Ich bin Akayin, I'll do the benching. The Rav looks at him and says, The Zaks me yet, the Bistakayin? The Zaks me yet, after the Pidyan Aben? <laughs> if I would have known you Akayin, there's no Pidyan Aben. Akayin doesn't make a Pidyan Aben. He says, Rebbe, you're telling me now? Why didn't you tell me by my first boy? <laughs> the line I want to quote to you as a as a centerpiece, is a line from the Sefer Tzidka Satzadik by Reb Tzadik HaKoyen Melublin, Schusa Yogan Aleinu. I think it's Ois Kuf Nun Vav, chapter 156. And I'm quoting the words of the Tzidka Satzadik, verbatim or almost verbatim. Keshem Shatzarich HaAdam Lahamin Ba'asham Yizbarich just as a person has to have a muna in the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, a person ought to have a muna, faith, belief, in himself or herself. And he continues to say, to believe that he's not just a wasted nobody whose life is meaningless and ultimately inconsequential, but that his life has infinite value to Hashem Himself. Now these are words one can read, emunah in Hashem, emunah in the self, but really it creates a paradigm shift when somebody really internalizes these words. They tell Maisa, I don't know how many of you, when you're in Israel, use the bus system. Jews like taking, American Jews like taking taxis. But once in a while, you probably take the bus. The buses are often packed, and the bus driver is usually matuach. He's usually in a bad mood. He's intense. A lovely Jewish woman gets onto the bus. It's packed. 
and he wants from her seven and a half shekel, she doesn't have. He wants to get out of the bus. Tell She looks at him, she puts her hand on her heart, and she says, Adoni, if you would only know what I have here, you would never speak to me this way. <laughs> He's afraid, you know. He says, come in. Give it, come in, come in. She comes in. There's nowhere to sit. It's packed. She goes over to the first seat, and she sees somebody sitting there. She says, if you would only know what I have right here, you wouldn't stay seated like that. Who knows what she has? She gets up. This woman sits down. But it's still tight. It's not comfortable. Somebody is near her. She turns to this lady near her. If you would only know what I have right here, you wouldn't stay seated like that. You would give me more place. The other woman jumps up. But she still needs more ear. There's people standing in the aisle. So she turns to a guy standing in the aisle, Yeshiva Bacher. If you would only know what I have here, you wouldn't be standing here. You would let me have more ear. So the guy now pushes to the back of the bus. Now she's sitting, she's sitting, she has the aisle empty, she has the seat empty. An old woman behind her looks at her and says, Give it. What do you have there? Tell me, what do you have there? She says, I have chutzpah. <laughs> they, why, am I, why, am I, why am I sharing this with you? <laughs> you know, they say, Amaisa, there was a yid. <laughs> he had an issue, he had a heart condition. So he went to a doctor, but not stama doctor. He went to Dr. Goldberg. You know Dr. Goldberg from Mount Sinai. His mom is considered one of the greatest cardiologists, not in the country, in the world. He goes for a visit. The visit finishes for half an hour. Then he gets a bill. He doesn't have insurance. He gets a bill, $18,000. He comes into Dr. Goldberg. He says, Rebbe, you may be a good doctor, but there's no way I'm writing you a check, $18,000, for a half an hour visit. Who do you think you are? Dr. Gold? <laughs> Very good. You're a good agent, probably. Yeah? You're learning. Okay. <laughs> Huh? Okay. He has chutzpah. You say he has chutzpah. I said he's a good agent. Think about Malamet's chizayim. Maybe Hobba Hatalia. Maybe Hobba Hatalia. So Dr. Goldberg says, I don't understand you. This is the price. He says, listen, $18,000, Bismar Sugar, Ichab Elf Kinder, nine of them are in Koilo. The other two lost their jobs, Bismar Sugar. He says, okay, $10,000. says, Dr. Goldberg, on my dead body, ich gib $10,000 for a stupid medical exam. The doctor is busy, so the appointments. He says, make it $5,000 and get on my own. He says, $5,000? Bismashiga, I'll give you, if you want, $140 for the visit. What do you have? So I'm $3,000. No way, $140. Take it or forget about it. The doctor looks at him and says, I don't understand. Why did you come to me? <laughs> you. You have the reputation. What did they tell you about my price? Everybody knows you. If you can't afford it, you're not going to pay this money. Why did you come to me? He says, listen, when it comes to my health, no price is too expensive. That's how it works. Now, why do I say this to you? I once saw an interview with a woman who was 104 years old. 
104. They asked her in the newspaper, what's the advantage of living to 104? You know what she said? No peer pressure. <laughs> the greatest obstacle that many of us have to the realization of our greatest Hatzlocha, Bechazde Hashem, is ourselves. I once read a line, and it's a very true line. Listen to this. Whether you believe you can, or you believe you can't, you're both right. If you believe you can, you're right. If you believe you can't, you're also right. There was once a Chachem, he would travel from city to city, give lectures, and he would answer everybody's questions. So one person decided he's going to fix his wagon. He'll ask him a question he won't be able to answer. But he, Ayoyim, he gets up, he says, all questions, I answer all questions. And he's answering question after question. One man picks up his clenched fist, and he says, the butterfly in this hand of mine, is it dead or alive? How is he going to answer it? If he says it's dead, he'll open up his hand, he'll fly away. If he says it's alive, he'll crush it. He'll be so there's no way you're going to get this right. So the man looks at him and says, Young man, the answer to that question lay in your hand. <laughs> I once saw a Meister, a Meister Shahoya. There was a scientist, a French scientist. His name was Henry Farber. He was a naturalist. He was a big mumcha on insects, different insects and animals. He won a Nobel Prize. He lived in the early 1900s. He was a big mumcha on caterpillars. I don't know how many of you remember the days in camp when you didn't like sports and you went to the woods and you were studying caterpillars or catching frogs and worms and believing that you found an oitzer just like when you find a new customer. Caterpillars are very interesting animals. You know why? They go in processions. They go with taluches. They go with groups. They're not isolated. You could see 300 caterpillars going together, one following the other, head to toe, head to toe, with the leader searching for food. They always follow each other in a procession, in a parade, in a talucha, in a group. That's the gene, that's the teva, that the Rebbeinu Shaloylam embedded in caterpillars. This Mr. Farber from France wanted to see Ad Kama Mukim Hadvarim. How deep is this nature in caterpillars? So what did he do? He took a group of caterpillars, he took a flower pot, he overturned the flower pot, and he managed to get the caterpillars to go in a circle on the rim of the flower pot. So now there was no leader anymore because they're following each other in a hakafa, in a circle. And he takes food, he puts it in the middle of the flower pot, and what does he want to see? Which caterpillar? will be the first one to break away from the circle in order to pursue and get its food, which was only a few inches away. Which caterpillar is going to violate the natural tendency to follow the procession in order to get its food? He watched the caterpillars for seven days and seven nights. Do you know the end of the story? Each one of them died from starvation, dehydration, and exhaustion. Nobody would leave the procession in order to get its own food, even though they have a good sense of smell. 
That's why they call them in English processionary caterpillars. When I read this experiment that he made, I thought to myself, sadly, but isn't this true about so many of us as well? In order to fit in and to stay in our circle, we will often sacrifice our own greatest successes, whether it's in Ruchnius or it's in Gashmius. People will forfeit their happiness, their atzlocha in Ruchnius or in Gashmius, as long as they can tell themselves, I'm part of this circle, I'm going in the same circle like everybody else. Well, my dear friends, in order to achieve greatness in life in every area, you have to have the guts, and you have to have the courage to be able to say, there is my food, there is my neshama, there is my chius, there is my money, there is my future, there is my dream, there is my destiny. Enough adjectives. And tear yourself out of the herd to pursue the food. But how does a person, how does a person do this? How does a person achieve this? You know, I once saw a Misa. There was this fellow, he was a pessimist. You know what a pessimist is, yeah? A pessimist. The optimist says things could get worse, and the pessimist says they can't get worse. That's, they once asked a pessimist, what's the difference between an optimist and a pessimist? That's what he explained. There was a pessimist who always told the Oilam that his life is the worst life ever. He told his wife, as gescholten, as fascholten, as fahakt, fajlovet. What did this pessimist do? What did this fellow do? <laughs> I, the other day I was giving a lecture in Muncie, so the title was, Why is my life a roller coaster? So a yid comes over to me and says, Ich kimnisht. I say, why aren't you coming? He says, my life is not a roller coaster, my life is straight down. <laughs> I have nothing to come to your lecture for. <laughs> so this pessimist tells his wife, it's the worst life ever. What did he do for a living? He would work on a train that would send, transport merchandise through the country and beyond the country. Canada. He was uploading a cabin, a train cabin with dairy foods, milk, cheese, yogurt, etc. The train was going to Vancouver. It was a 48-hour drive on the train. 48-hour journey. Just food. He's on there. He finishes uploading all the food. He wants to leave. There was some technical error. And the bar closed. And he realizes he's locked into the train. And this is a place with yogurt and ice cream and cheese and milk. The refrigerator must be on. 48 hours in a refrigerator. I know it's hot. But 48 hours in a refrigerator is a ticket to... He's locked in. No cell phones. Gornished. So he finds a pen, he finds a piece of carbon, and he writes his tzava. My dear wife, I always knew something like this would happen to me. <laughs> and he keeps on writing, there's the worst, bitter, cursed life in the world. He hopes maybe in the next world he'll have some mazel, although he doubts it. Like Devin Ezra, who didn't have good mazel, writes in a famous poem, he never had money, Devin Ezra says, that if I would become Hevra Kaddish, and I would make Tachrichim, the Malachamavas would stop killing people. And if I would go into the business of making candles, the sun would never set. 
It wouldn't become dark. Anyway, he finishes the whole tzavah. Hey, you shalom, zayt megezunt. I'll see you on the other side. The train arrives to Vancouver 48 hours later. The people who unload the merchandise open the door. They start taking out the food. They see Ayid licked chaloshes off the head. Somebody is in comatose. He's unconscious. They rush him right away to the hospital. And the doctor says, I don't understand. He was in a comatose state, but the refrigerator was not on. But that is the power of human thought. If you believe you can't, or you believe you can, you're both right. They used to have in Europe circuses with bugs, fleas. You know that? Circuses, like you go chalamoyed, the mitzvah to go to the circus. So today they have the elephants and all that. They used to have circuses with fleas, with kleina bugs, little bugs. What would they do? The fleas would schlep little wagons and they would race each other. And I once researched that I didn't understand a normal flea, a normal bug, it flies away. How did the owners of the circus keep the fleas in the ramen? How did they keep them there? And then I read about it, how they did it. You know what they did? They took these fleas in order to train them to be in the circus. They put them in glass boxes. What does a bug do when it's in a box? It flies up. So the flea flies up and it banged its head. It's farta flea, satnish tzufil seicho, tried again. Again, boom, 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 boom. Hundreds of times until it realized that it's banging its head. So it made a cheshbin. How high is the ceiling? Let's say it's 20 feet. So the flea forever will not fly higher than 20 feet. Only 19 feet. Now imagine, you take the bug out of the box, it will never fly higher than 19 feet. Because it knows from past experiences, if I fly higher than 19 feet, I'm going to get a clop. Rabbi Isai, isn't this true about many of our lives? When we were children of Bahrain, maybe we tried once to fly higher than 20 feet and somebody gave us a clap. And you know what happens? We're not like bugs. We don't try a thousand times. We try maybe once more. Then we get another clap. And you know what happens? We tell ourselves a shvua. I'm never going to go higher than 19 inches. Never. And our whole life we're busy flying till 19 inches. But this is all limitations that we impose on ourselves, not by mazet, but based on preconceived. This is exciting speech, quite literally. I spoke about a roller coaster, right? Well, a good speech goes up and goes down and goes down and goes up like a good niggin. Now back to the circus. I used to go, you know, with Chalamai, you have to go to the circus with oranges and bananas and, 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 and chicken and matzah and uh, hard-boiled eggs and all the good kosher Pesach foods. Be, be, you know, be, be, before, before the hotels, but people still didn't eat pizza on Pesach. <laughs> In the good old days. Anyway, and I always wondered, you have this huge elephant, and they have this little chain around his foot. How does that chain hold him? One little brick, one kick, he's out. So I found out what happens. This elephant was born in the circus. When it's little, they put the chain around the foot. The elephant tries to gut out. It can't. 
it learns that you cannot get out of this chain. 10 years later, 20 years later, elephants have a long life. 30 years later, it's huge, it's massive. One brick, it can get out of it, but it never does. Because it's trapped in its own belief system. The greatest trap in the universe is never outside of myself. It's never outside of yourself. The greatest trap in the world is my own belief system, who I am, what I'm capable of. Do people like me? Am I a likable guy? Should I make this telephone call to this new company, to this new store? If I go to Borough Park, it's a Hamish Shayid. I go to a friend of mine, I say, come. Come to our company. Okay, what's the worst thing? We'll schmooze, we'll eat some jalapeno herring together. It's Thursday afternoon, he'll give me some chalant. I get it, I don't get it, but the fine, we're friends. But for me to make an appointment with John Smith, Smith the fourth, bench John Smith the third, Benoisha Louis the seventeenth, what am I going to talk to him about? What am I going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? And sometimes, and sometimes, we don't have the emuna in ourselves, in our value, in our dignity, in our power. We're trapped by our belief system. I was at a bar mitzvah the other day. A younger man whom I know is dancing and he asks me to dance with him. So I come to the middle and I'm dancing with the father of the bar mitzvah bacha. I see he's crying. I say, what's veins to? He looks at me at the bar mitzvah of the son. And he says, Rabbi Jacobson, did anything come out of me? I was shocked. I said, it's your son's bar mitzvah. You have, can I not, another five beautiful children... You're a wonderful human being. What do you mean if anything came out of it? He says, when he was in yeshiva, two years, a mechanic who worked there, or a so-called mechanic, I should say, went over to him and told him, you're wasting your time here. The hosta cup von Holtz. You're wasting your time here. You're not doing anything. You go do something else. He looks, nothing will ever come out of you. So he looks at me and he says, who was right? Did anything come out of me or not? He's crying. I look at him and I say, we were in the same class. I say, this happened 33 years ago. 33 years ago this happened. He looks at me and he says, not a single day passed that I don't think about this. At his son's bar mitzvah. And then I realized, he at least is aware of it. How many people are unaware of the belief system that holds them captive? Like this. That holds them captive. And therefore they run away from their own greatest Hatzlacha. You know, there was once a Choshev Yid, a Polish Tzadik, he was on a train. He was a big Rebbe, and he meets a Yid in the first class. He says, Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem, Shalom. Vas tutifar parnasi, he asked this Jew. The Jew says, Ich handel mit Ferret. I deal with horses. The Rebbe says, Ah, punkt v'yich. Just like me. So, Medetveg in Behemus, Medetveg in Chayis. Yeah? Another interesting thing. Probably, most of you didn't grow up on farms. I know in Williamsburg and in, in 
in Flatbush and Barber, they don't have too many farms on 13th Avenue. But those of you who have to spend time on a farm or in a jungle or to learn about animal life, know that that's where you see really the Bashefer without anybody mixing in. The tallest animal is a kosher animal. It's a giraffe. Now there's an old mistake they tell eight-year-old kids in yeshiva, the reason we don't need giraffes is because we don't know where to shech the giraffe. That's of course a myth, because a giraffe is the easiest shechita, because you could shech it throughout the entire neck. So you have a full spirit. The reason we don't shech the giraffe is because it's not practical. You go deal with a giraffe, you go chop a giraffe, hold it down, and then shech it, and then bring it home. It's quite an impractical behemoth to shech. But it's a kosher animal. From kosher animals, you could learn a lot of, from all animals, especially from kosher animals. Here's the seder. A giraffe is born, it comes out of the mother's womb, but the mother's the cha, a giant. So the baby falls 10 feet from the womb to the earth ground. 10 feet, it falls down onto the ground. Not like other animals, it comes down to the ground. It falls 10 feet, it drops, so the baby is shaken up, and it curls its feet under its body, and it sits. One minute later, the mother comes close to it, takes a look down, I've seen the images, looks down, waits a few seconds, and gives the baby a kick, a benishtama kick. Like your teacher used to tell you in Tatan's Tatan Arayna de Vizenda Levana. You remember? Today you're not allowed to do it anymore. Chadegeben has a frask in Tatan's Tatan Vizenda, an elte elte bobe, nishtinganeiden in Gehenem. These were the nurturing uh, pedagogical geniuses. Mamish Abrik, I was shocked. A mama, a mama. Mothers by animal that was just nefesh for their kid, for their for their offspring. Azabrik, and the baby's shaken up. Another kick. Till, till the baby trying to, to leave this position gets up. Gets up. For the first time it gets up on its own legs. And you're like, wow, this baby camel, after living for one minute on this world is standing on its own two feet. Most Jewish mothers at the age of 50, they're still trying to get their, their babies to stand on two feet. They say, Amaisa, a woman comes in Shabbos morning. Yanki, Yanki, shul. You have to go to shul. It's 8.30, Yanki. Mommy, I'm not going to shul. I'm not going to shul. Why not? Why aren't you going to shul? And Yanki says... I hate all the people in shul, and they all hate me. Why should I go to shul? She says, two reasons. First of all, it's already 8.30 Shabbos morning, and second of all, you're the rabbi. (laughs) A baby camel, after one minute, is standing on its own two feet. But then I was shocked. You know what happens now? Now, after it's standing, the mother goes and gives it another kick, and it falls down again. Why is this? So if you know, nature dictates that one of the most important things for camel survival is to be with the herd. Because when they're alone, they can be killed and attacked, especially when they're young. In order to be with the herd, lions are coming, hyenas are coming, tigers are coming, cheetahs are coming. A camel, which is sitting, has to, in a split second, be able to rise on its two legs and leave with the herd. After you already learned how to stand, now you have to learn... That when you're kicked down, 
You have to be able to stand up once again. I watched this and I thought, wow. Many of us get a lot of kicks in our life. All of you are experienced with that word, no. If he's nice, no thank you, but it's nice of you. But that's if he's nice. Most people don't have patience. You know, it's like, fine, next, next. They don't even say that. What do they say? Call me in a month or better. We'll have your people call my people. Call me in the next Gilgal. Do me a favor. I don't want to see your face ever, ever again. Ever. I'm good. I'm just not going to be so obnoxious to tell you I don't care for you. I don't care for your company. I don't care for your mishpacha. I'm just going to smile and say, no, thank you. Drop that. (laughs) Every person in life, whatever you're in, especially in this field, you get kicked. You get kicked down. And sometimes you get 20 consecutive kicks. You know, you get up one morning, you're up in the morning, you're diving for second. You know, 6.30 already after your shear. You know that feeling, right? 6.30 after the shear. 7.20, Bismamish Muchen already after the coffee. You're going to hit the road today. You're going to be a jackpot, I'm telling you. Ben Wise is going to be like, wow, 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 wow. This guy is real competitive. He's going to open his own company. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's your objective, right? You decide once 5 o'clock comes. I'm not saying you're going to when you're already gonna, you already see twenty million dollars just commission. And your mama should it's Givaldic, right? You did everything right, you already made deals with the Rabbinah Shalom, you know, all those things that Hi Mishidni, fifty percent is going to my Shvigas, seventy percent is going for therapy, twenty percent is this, ninety percent here, hundred percent. Just do you made all the deals. Altakashan, you know the mice. You don't know the mice. There was a yid, Ashlam Mazala, Captain Anudnik. He bought. He would buy the lottery every day. You know people who buy the lottery like nine times a day. They say l'shem yuchu. They buy the. They don't have a job, but they buy the lottery because he buys the lottery. I told my heaven Shul. I said I found this gul in Kabbalah for Parnassa to get a job. <laughs> so uh, there was a guy on Thirteenth Avenue. So he's like. So one guy's dressed very nice with a suitcase attached. So the he says, "Go work." <laughs> I work for a living. You also work for a living. Anyway, so this Shlomazel is buying the lottery. Anyway, one day the lottery is two hundred and sixty million dollars. Okay, and imagine he gets a call in his house. He got the numbers. He won the lottery. The wife calls the Rav. And she says, If my husband hears that he won the lottery, he's going to die on the spot. What should I do? The Rav says, I'll break to him the news. I'll break. She says, no, 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 he's going to he's going to clap, he's going to have a heart attack. I'll break to him the news. Send him to my office before he comes home. She calls up her husband, Go to the Rav. Goes to the Rav. Yeah, Rebbe, how can I help you? The Rebbe says, panosa. He says, They're horrible. How are you doing financially? Baruch Hashem, the worst ever. You have some money to support the family. Baruch Hashem, garnish, mit garnish, mit garnish. Tell me, what do you do for Psakeli? I buy the lottery ticket. No, oops. What happens if you win? <laughs> he says, you don't have to worry. Shlomazalim like me don't win. You know, Goyim from Montana win, from Kentucky. People like me, people like me in the project don't win. He says, well, you never know what somebody has to win. Maybe you... I buy it, but it's a chalom, shechalom, al chalom, shechalom. He says, 
fart. You never know. Maybe the Rebbe Shalom is going to choose you to be his new Gvir. What happens if you won the lottery today? $260 million. Says the Rebbe, you know what? If I won today's lottery, you get half. The Rebbe claps with a heart attack. <laughs> So you understand, you're on the road, you're early, and then you start getting clopped. Everything goes wrong. Besides the car breaking down, then you get towed. You get towed. And then one appointment, mamash flops. Another one, another one. And a person gets kicked. And you get shoved. And some people don't just give you a kick. You know, some people give you a kick, as they say in English, where it counts. As the kishk is today in Zechib. You know, some people make a comment, and you go back, and like you say three words like Rivka. What am I doing? For what? For when? For where? And the, you know what the tragedy is? At that moment, you call yourself the loser. And that's the moment that you become imprisoned in your own prison. Because somebody else defined your emotions about yourself. The Heilke Mezitsha Maggit says a moire de kivart. It says in Pirkeyavis, Yehi chvoid chavarecha chove velecha kishalach. The covet of your friend should be as precious as your own. Frek de Mezitsha Maggit. Pirkeyavis, we would think... The Mishnah would say, your COVID shouldn't be so precious to you after all. The COVID of your chavr should be as precious as your own COVID. Perkeyavis, we would think, say, don't take your COVID so seriously. So the Heleke Magitz Chusayogan Aleinu says this. means the opposite of what most people think. The COVID your friend gives you should be as precious kishalach, as the COVID you give yourself. Imagine I finish giving a drasha, and I don't get a applause. So I go home insulted, and I tell myself, Oi, I didn't get applause. You know what I do? I give the drasha again, myself, in the mirror. And when I finish, I go like this. For ten minutes. Mamet. Thank you, I won't have to do it. So you'll say, you'll say this guy needs a lot of help. It's nebach, nebach. What do you gain by applauding yourself? The chalitzonis. The cover that other people give you should be as precious as the cover you give yourself. Just like the cover you give yourself is meaningless, the cover other people give you is the same value. You know why? It never defines who you really are. And just as it's true with covet, it's also true with criticism. Criticism of another person in any form if it's making you or breaking you, it means you don't believe that you have an etzem. It means you don't believe that the Rebbeinu Shalom loves you unconditionally and you have your own atzmius. If your comments define me, if your comments make me or break me, if you saying no to me defines my value in my own eyes, I have to go back and revisit where ich bin, who am I? Do I really believe I exist? Some people don't really believe they exist. Some people don't really believe they have a right to exist. And I'll tell you something. In the Haim Shalom, you'll forgive me for being blunt. A lot of boys grow up and deep down they don't believe they have a right to exist. Somebody told them, 
Mr. Goylem, Abacha told me that his teacher told him he's greater than the Maharal. The Maharal had one Goylem and he has 19 Goylem. <laughs> so when he was six years old, he heard that his teacher is the Maharal and he's the Goylem. And then his teacher added, and mine Goylem ret, the Maharal's Goylem at Nishgeret. Now, he moves on, he gets married, puts on a nice levushim, looks like a successful guy, but deep inside... He doesn't have an atzmius. You know what it says in Medrash Rabbah? Moiridik. Herzachayin, the Medrash Rabbah says, on Tuesday, the Rebbeinu Shalom created all growth and produce. What else? Minerals, including metal, including iron. Zok the Medrash Rabbah is chilu ha'ilonus reitetit. When the trees saw the iron, they started to tremble. Why? They realized there's an instrument in the world that can hack it up, that can fell a tree. So Hashem turned to the trees and He said, Don't worry. There is no way an axe will be able to cut you down if its handle is not made of wood. What is Hashem telling the tree? Listen to this. Nobody can cut you down without your consent. Nobody can cut you down without your permission. If you don't give them the handle of the axe, the axe can't fell the tree. So I say, you cut me down. You didn't cut me down. I gave you permission to cut me down. Because I don't know who I really am. Or I don't believe in who I really am. I don't believe God loves me unconditionally. When I say, I don't take it seriously. When I say, Every morning before Kabbalah, you say, or Ava Rabba, whatever Nusach you say, of Taisus Brachas. Or Aboy Chabami Yisroba Ava. I don't really believe it. But maybe I have to stop and say, Hashem loves me for real. Avas Oilam, for real, forever, eternally. And then come to life from that place. That's why you have to dava before you go to work. You have to internalize that love. So he tells the trees, if you're not going to give the handle, nobody will be able to cut you down. So when you get a kick, when you get a kick, you could look at it in two ways. Either I just got a kick, and I'm dead, I'm gone, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm depressed, and you let it out on your wife and on your kids. Or, you could say, I'm not worse than a giraffe. The mother kicked the child for one reason, to compel the giraffe to get off its legs, to stand up, and if it falls, to be able to stand up again. And that's one of the most important keys in life. Said the We say to this week's parish, What does the Mishnah say? Even if he takes your soul. So the Kotzke Rebbe says, So what's Bechol Levavcha? Even if he takes your heart. Sometimes you don't have a heart. You're not inspired. You don't have emotions. Some days you're not in the mood of being there for your wife. You're not in the mood of being there for your children. You're not in the mood of being there for your soul. You're not in the mood of... Sometimes he says, today I'm not giving you a heart. So you quit. No! It's just a challenge. So you'll do without a heart. Because you know it's right. Because you know it's true. But I can never let the kick keep me down. Even a baby giraffe understands that. We should not make that same mistake. 
However, the words of the Sitzka Satzadik were, In order to be able to have this amun in oneself and one's attitude, it really comes when a person has a real relationship, a real amunah with Hashem. And I want to illustrate this to you practically. There was once a Baisa Shahoya. Everybody knows there were two brothers, the Rebbe Abzisha, the Rebbe Melech, the Noim Ali Melech, and his brother Abzusha Anapoli. And they were traveling in Golos, and somebody informed upon them, and they ended up in prison. And in prison there was no Besakisi, there was no bathroom. What did they have? You'll forgive me. They had a pail, a bucket in the corner. And the bucket in the corner is what people used. In the morning, the Rebbe of Melech is crying. Asks Reb Zusha, why are you weeping? Thank you. So the Rebbe of Melech says, why am I crying? And there was such a horrible smell. You know what a daven. So the Zusha says, okay, so why are you crying? He says, never in my life have I had a day without davening. So he says, so today will be the first time. He says, but I can't make peace with that. He says, why not? He says, because I need a daven to have dveikas with the Rebbeinah Shalayla. If I daven, I become one with my Creator. I become one with my essence. Then I can have a normal day. If I didn't daven, I'm like fragmented. I'm disoriented. I'm not connected with myself, with my essence. The Bzusha looked at him and says, Brother, I don't understand you. The Zelber Rebbeinah Shalayla was heist davenen, heist in Shulchan Aruch, as a p'sheshmek, t'almenish davenen. The same God who tells you to daven says today you're not supposed to daven. So today by not davening, you'll be fulfilling a halach in Shulchan Aruch. By fulfilling a halach in Shulchan Aruch, you'll have dveikas with Hashem. Today you'll have dveikas through not davening. You're being mekayim a mitzvah through not davening. That's also Ratzin Hashem, that's dveikas. The Melech says, Gewaldik, wow, we didn't think of that. Instead of crying, he starts singing. Since they were two chesidim, so they started to dance. Within a few minutes, all the inmates joined them, and in five minutes, he had 50 inmates dancing kazatskis like Purim and Simchas The prison warden hears this commotion. He walks and he sees 50 people, metan, celebidic. He comes over to one of the Gentiles. He says, why are they dancing? Why are you guys dancing? He says, the Jews, they instigated it all, of course. He says, why are the Jews dancing? Why are they so excited? The man says, I don't know. He says, you tell me right now why they're dancing, I'll kill you. He's, he points to the bucket in the corner. The man says, how is that bucket filled with whatever, making them dance? And the man looks at him and he says, I don't know, but they say that as a result of that bucket, they developed a new type of relationship with their God. <laughs> there was a pre-bucket relationship and a post-bucket relationship. And that's why they're dancing. The guy, the prison warden looks at them and he says, I will teach these miserable Jews a lesson. He takes the bucket and he throws it out of the cell. Zusha turns to the Melech and says, Brother, yet can start even davening. Brother, now you can start davening. The mice has a very profound message. And that is, a Jew is always in a relationship with the Reboi Nishaloylam. Sometimes it's a day where he says, today we're going to connect through davening. And sometimes today we're going to connect through not davening, if that's the situation. 
but it's always in a relationship. Reb Chaim Shmulevich was the mirror of Shishiva. Chaim Shmulevich once said, listen to this. The Gemara says in Shabbos that according to the Yossi, you're only Chayiv on Shabbos if you soyser al-manas livenes bin koimoy. If you break a building in order to rebuild it in the same place. Frag the Gemara, we all learn everything from the Mishkan. And when they took apart the Mishkan, they wouldn't put it up in the same place. They would put it up somewhere else. And for the Gemara, since they were traveling based on Hashem's guidance, GPS, God's positioning system, so is the same place. Ask Subhan Shalavich why? Just because Hashem is guiding you with the GPS, He's telling you to go there, why is it the same place? They dismantled, they dismantled the Mishkan to put it up somewhere else. So He gave a marshal. You guys probably like traveling once in a while. Imagine, imagine... You're traveling, and you go from New York, you go to Miami, from Miami you go to Los Angeles, from Los Angeles you go to Sydney, from Sydney to Johannesburg, to London, to Tel Aviv, to Moscow, to Finland, back to Miami, back to New York. Every place, bureaucracy, customs, passports, luggage, hotels, taxis, celebrity looking for food, shine. Imagine, within these travels, you also take your baby with you. You take your little baby with you. If somebody can ask the baby, where were you all these months? The baby will say, I was in my father's arms. I was in my mother's arms. Ah, you took the baby halfway around the world? The baby doesn't know that it went halfway around the world. The baby knows it was in its mother's and father's arms. Since in the Midbar they felt like they're in the Shekhinah's arms, so they were always in the same place. They never had ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. The Yusoid in your work is, you wake up in the morning, let the Shekhinah carry you in his arms. Are there roller coasters in life? Yeah. Sometimes you go up and sometimes you go down and sometimes you go straight and right, left. But when you're in your mother's arms... Wherever you are, you're always in the same secure, confident place. Your mother's arms are carrying you. I want to finish. There was a Breslevin in Varsha. He had a factory of sweaters. He was an usher. You know, by the Breslevin, every Minchemaidim, he would get up between Minchemaidim and scream three words. Emuna Simcha B'tachen. An old cynic in the back says, sure. He's filthy rich. He has whatever he needs. Easy as shreit. Simcha muna betachem. Vayiyayoyim nebach. His sweater factory burnt down as Gibbleben at Kapsin with nothing. He gets up to Minchemaidim and sure enough, and muna simcha betachem. The old man comes over to him and says, first of all, I have to ask you, Mechila. Second of all, I have to ask you, how do you do it? How do you do it? You had so much money, you were so respected. He said, I'll answer you, listen to this. He says, I didn't show by so you have to stand by Sukkot the Zimro Krishna, you could sit. The Shail is, are you allowed to lean by Shmanasra? Are you allowed to lean on a stander? So Mogan Avram brings, what's the answer? Depends. If you lean so much that if the stander is taken away, you fall, then it's like sitting. But if you're just leaning a little bit, and even if it's taken away, you don't fall, then it's like standing. He says, I learn, use this halacha in life. I never ever lean on anything in the world that if it's taken away from me, I fall. There's only one thing I lean on with all my kayak. 
and that's my mother and father Hashem. Everything else I enjoy, I lean on it, I benefit from it, but I never lean on it to the point that if it's taken away, there's nothing left. I fall completely. I never allow that to define me. Says Ibrahim Shmulevich, they were in their mother's arms. If you're in your mother's arms, you could go from one extreme to another extreme. You're always in a place of menuchas hanefesh. You come home at night, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, you had a hard day. But if you're in your mother's arms, maybe you went to face from one extreme to another extreme. Always in the same place. And this is what the Mezitsha Magid says. The first question when somebody comes Lamaila in Masech the Shabbos Lamar Aleph is what? Nosasav and Asata? Be'amunas. Everyone touches. What does it mean? Did you do business honestly? The Halakha Magid says, Nosasav and Asata Be'amunas. Did you do business permeated with Be'amunas? That your mother is holding you in her arms. When you have that Amunas, then you know that honesty is the name of the game. Thank you very much, and atzlocha muflag. Thank you very much. I just got up, and I got to tell you, it's uh, a lot easier to sit. I don't know how you did this for 45 minutes. I was in my mother's arms. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.